you're listening to the St. Mark's Podcast for September 25th, 2022, the 16th Sunday after Pentecost. Today's sermon was given by the Reverend Elizabeth Garnsey. It's based on Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. Back in 2013, Salon.com published a roundup of the 10 worst people on the Forbes 2013 billionaires list. The sardonic article says the list that year was brimming over with oligarchs, monopolists, thugs, miscreants, and hustlers, not to mention narcissists and parasitic predators. The writer said putting together a list of only the 10 worst individuals in that group of billionaires was daunting because there were hundreds of garden variety jerks to choose from. Along with several dozen egregious SOBs and moreover, the writer said there should be a whole separate list for Russian oligarchs. But one runs out of space and time. So the writer offered her list of the 10 biggest creeps in no particular order, a mashup of the world's biggest polluters, race baiters, murderers, misinformation spreaders, bribers of governments, tax fraudsters, and contemptuous self-aggrandizers. And I'll spare you their names, just like Jesus leaves the rich man unnamed in the story he tells about the rich man and Lazarus in today's gospel. In Jesus' story, the two figures are characterized into monolithic archetypes. His, he is defined, this rich man has no name. He's defined only by his wealth, his clothing, his sumptuous feasts, his servants, his gated home. The poor man is called Lazarus, a name derived from a Hebrew name meaning God is my help. He dwells outside of the rich man's gate and equally outside of the rich man's gaze, never having been given so much as a crumb from the rich man's table. Both men die as humans do, rich or poor. But as the story says, the rich man lands in agonizing flames with no water and no one to quench his thirst, while Lazarus rests in the bosom of Abraham. And thus, in this story, divine justice is served to both of them. As Father Peter said so plainly in our podcast this week, this rich guy is a total jerk. They say you can't take your stuff with you when you die, but in this story, the rich man's sense of entitlement makes it all the way to the great beyond. His incredulous desire to have poor Lazarus sent to him from Abraham to cool his tongue with a bit of water just makes the reader hate him even more. There's no question that landing in those agonizing flames, the rich man got what he deserved. We love our villains in caricature form because it fixes a chasm between us and them that cannot be crossed. This can't possibly be about us, we can safely say, when we make a spectacle of our scapegoats. When we cut ourselves off from their kind, we can blame them for all the ills in our society. And our villains very well may be as bad as we say they are. Often they truly are. But it doesn't mean we don't all have something, something to learn from them, even if it is by way of their cautionary tale. I marked the anniversary of my ordination to the priesthood on Friday. No fanfare was really called for on year 16, 
But I did take a look back at the priest ordination service in our Book of Common Prayer. I reread the words of the examination, which the bishop administered to me and to my fellow candidates before we were consecrated to our order at the Cathedral of St. John the Divine that day. The examination summarizes the call of the priest to fashion our lives after the gospel of Jesus Christ, to work as a pastor, priest, and teacher, and to take our share in the councils of the church, and so on. And as I reread all these words, I had today's gospel in the back of my mind, knowing I was to preach, and I noticed with new eyes one familiar sentence. You are to love and serve the people among whom you work, caring alike for young and old, strong and weak, rich and poor. Caring alike for rich and poor. Why was it necessary to spell this out, I wondered, this specific call to love and care for the rich and poor alike? And what demands its inclusion in this particular office? This phrasing is not in the examination for deacons, whose specific call is to work with the poor. So maybe it is one way in which there's a widening of the priest's range for concerns and service. Or maybe we just need it to be spelled out. As I closed my prayer book on Friday and turned to this gospel for today that is so clearly concerned with these categories of rich and poor, I had to think twice about what my bishop's orders might mean when it comes to reading scriptures like this one. Am I called to love and serve the two people in today's parable, both the rich man and Lazarus? These are timeless categories, to be sure. In the words of the prophet Micah, do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. Just as they rail against neglecting the needs of the poor, the prophets also praise the kings and leaders who do away with injustice. Jeremiah commends a just king who uses his power to protect the poor from being exploited from other powerful people. The prophet Isaiah unfolds a hope for the future in which a king will judge righteously and deliver justice for the poor. In one of his more famous passages, chapter 11, Isaiah conveys such justice between a powerful rich ruler and the poor at his mercy by likening them to predators living at peace with their usual prey. He says, righteousness shall be the belt around his waist and faithfulness the belt around his loins. The wolf shall live with the lamb and the calf and the lion will feed together. The Bible's prophets do not question rich and poor inequality as such. Instead, it is the way the powerful behave towards the poor that brings God's judgment down on them. And this is what Jesus is teaching with this vivid apocryphal tale in Luke. It's not the man's riches that condemn him to eternal mis misery. It is the rich man's carelessness his blindness and his abject disregard of the obvious needs of Lazarus, who lives right outside his door. Disregard is the rich man's undoing. It's the rich man's inability to comprehend that even the scraps from his table could be gathered up and offered. And if not the most generous offering, would at least have been enough to feed Lazarus day by day. Once he gets to Hades and meets Abraham from afar, the rich man awakens to the fate of his brothers, 
who lived just like he did. If only he could warn them, he says to Abraham. To which Abraham reminds him that they have all the warnings and messages they need in their own scriptures with Moses and the prophets, the same prophets I just cited. This is something to love about the rich man. It's only a shred, but he does have one shred of compassion after all. He at least cares about the fate of his brothers who are careening through life just the same and to the same eternal dead end at which he has now arrived. If Jesus is doing anything with this tale beyond entertaining our love for our monolithic categories or feeding our schadenfreude towards scoundrels who appear to get what they deserve, Jesus is inviting his listeners to locate themselves, ourselves, in this story. How are we blind to the needs of those around us? How can we identify with any or all of the persons or circumstances in this story? What response is it calling us to make? Throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus at the tables of wealthy people. Mary and Martha are women of means. He visits them and eats with them often. He's frequently invited to recline at the tables in the houses of Pharisees, typically men of means. And he goes to Zacchaeus' house, that reviled tax collector, notorious for taking more than his fair share from the poor, until he meets Jesus, who loves him into amending his life and giving back what he has stolen. Jesus loves the rich and poor alike. To follow him means to go and do likewise. Ordained or not to the priesthood, we are fellow disciples, fellow followers of Jesus on this road to Christian life. This is a rare story Jesus tells about wealth in which no one is being asked to sell everything or give up all their possessions. This is a story about fundamental neighborliness. It's about the chasm between living in oblivion towards the poor or having a heart for others in need that live, that live right at our proverbial doorstep. In other words, people living well within our view both of our consciousness and our ability to share with others from the bounty of our daily bread and the comfortable blessings we enjoy. After all, as we say at many a Eucharistic feast, all things come of thee, O Lord, and of thine own have we given thee. Everything we have comes from God. Even if we earned our wealth and our net worth with a lifetime of work, how did we get our start in life? How did we find meaningful employment and stay well enough, long enough to earn and, and work to get our pay and benefits? All that we have, every breath we take, every illness or hardship we dodge or overcome, every blessing we enjoy is but for the grace of God and sometimes by accident of our birth. This story about the rich man and Lazarus invites a change of heart not necessarily a change of circumstances. And a change of heart, it's important to say, is what can overcome our fear of a change in circumstances, should one be inevitable or necessary. A change of heart can overcome the fear we have of letting go of a lot or of a little or just enough that we need to let go of in order to help someone in need. So many of you, so many in our community, live generously and fearlessly, and give and serve and love the people, the rich and poor alike, 
and I'm renewed and inspired all the time by your examples. We certainly move the needle when we act collectively and not just individually. In a perfect world, there would be no rich man and no Lazarus divided by such an impossible chasm. But alas, the world we live in is not that perfect world. So many of Jesus' stories end without concluding. They leave the hearer wondering what might have happened next. In this story, the next chapter might be about the rich man's brothers. Perhaps Abraham decides to grant the rich man's request after all, maybe without sending Lazarus to serve as the lackey. Maybe he sends the rich man to his brothers in a dream, or Abraham himself appears to them and tells them about their brother's fate in the afterlife and reminds them to reread Moses and the prophets. Maybe one of them heeds the warning and suddenly begins to see the Lazarus at the gate of his own home with new eyes. Maybe he can't stop thinking about him. Maybe this rich brother's heart begins to change. And in that moment, the chasm begins to narrow. It would be a start, and we all have to start somewhere. Not many of us are or ever will be billionaires, and not every billionaire is a villain. Recent headlines tell us that some billionaires give their whole fortunes over to help, the other, help others and further the common good, as in the story of Patagonia. There are no categorically rich people and no, no categorically bad rich people and no categorically good poor people, but there are categorically good and bad neighbors. Which one do we want to be? You can find more sermons on our website, www.stmarksnewcanaan.org.